0: Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. For episode number 81, I am joined by Dr. James Morhan, who is a published author and respected performance nutritionist who works with professional and non-professional athletes to achieve optimal health, wellness, and performance through nutritional solutions and strategies to fuel and recover from the demands of sport and lifestyle. Lately, I have been trying to better understand how to balance three things, fueling my exercise while managing my body composition, including building and keeping my muscle mass for my health and athletic performance. As you know, we have had several experts touch on this area over the last two years, and each one has helped me to better understand the moving parts, but still I had questions. I asked Dr. Morhan to join us to thread this needle, and he helped me a great deal in understanding how much protein to eat each day, whether collagen should be a part of my program, how to burn fat while retaining muscle, and what other nutritional factors should be considered for optimizing muscle building and retention. I think you'll find it valuable. All right, let's talk to Dr. James Morhan. Dr. James Morhan, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for taking some time. You're uh, joining us from the UK. Where are you?
1: Yeah, correct. So um, in a town called Bicester, which a lot of people would, would actually say Bicester but it's not. It's uh, 20 minutes north of Oxford, huh? which everyone will know at Oxford University right now.
0: Yes. Well, fantastic. Well, thanks again. James, you are not a medical doctor, but you have a PhD in sports nutrition. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sports nutrition is probably the the umbrella term. And then there was an element of applied physiology and, and body composition study in there as well.
0: Great. Well, that's what I want to talk about. So that's very convenient. And in general, the topic for today is nutrition. And this is such a confusing area. I've had, over the couple of years that I've been doing this, a, a few people on the podcast to talk about it. And they've always been helpful, but, you know, in the in the short amount of time that we're together, there's, you know, and then m- more information circulates around the internet about, you know, some new fad or some new study or some fake news and it gets confusing all over again. So what I'm hoping that we're going to be able to do is for the older athlete, try to figure out this balance, this threading of the needle of how can athletes who are doing endurance type sports, doing lots of calorie burning, can at the same time build some muscle mass as we try to you know, fight off the loss of muscle mass, which is a natural part of aging. And given your expertise, I want to focus on that sort of general training idea and talk about the, the nutritional side of that. You know, how do we, what should we be eating? Does timing matter? Fads and whether they're right or wrong or indifferent, like intermittent fasting and um, eating only plants and You know things like that and your thoughts on whether those things are helpful or not or not really relevant how does all that sound sounds good to me yeah well great let's start for the benefit of the audience with you giving us a little bit of your background you know your education and what do you do for a living how do you add value to the world sir
1: yeah cool so uh, our best um I always start with when I was 18, um, 18 to 21, I, I had no ambition to study at all and I actually moved over to Canada, Mont-Tremblant, Quebec area and I was a snowboard instructor in the mountains and I, I wow. did that for three winter seasons and I, I loved it. If there was a country I was going to move to, it would probably be Canada. Um, yeah. So that that was my my kind of younger years and then at 21, I then had the passion to start my academic career. I always knew that I wanted to work in sport. I think if you ask anyone that works in sport, if they're deep down a failed athlete, they would probably agree with you because that's why we work in sport. Yeah. Um, and so I then studied my undergraduate degree at Liverpool John Moores University, um, two famous football teams there. Uh, that was in sport and exercise science. And then I uh, progressed onto my master's in sports physiology. And for me, it was just a natural progression to then go on to the PhD. Um, and that PhD was in a kind of applied physiology, sport, nutrition, and body composition with professional rugby players. Ah. Alongside that, I then started accumulating experience of working in sport. Um, that ranged from professional boxers, rugby league players, rugby union. Um, and then I, I started my kind of first job at England football. Mm. So at the Football Association, I was there for four years. Um, But then I I had a passion to get back into rugby and that's where I'm I'm now at Bristol Bears, which is the southwest of England. Um, And I I do that alongside looking after England rugby women's team who are currently over in New Zealand ready for their World Cup. And then also run my own business working with individual athletes and clients left, right and centre. So that's a, a very brief whistle stop into my background.
0: Fantastic. I'm not sure we have uh, many rugby players uh, in the audience, but you know what we do have are people who exercise a lot. They are struggling to know how to fit this business of doing a lot of calorie burning, endurance, cardio type work, combining that with more strength type building work and how to balance it all in. And and the eating slash nutrition side of it is challenging because people are always saying, oh, eat more protein. Well, and that's not that hard to do. You know, usually people can find something that they uh, enjoy eating, but, you know, at the same time, they're trying to watch their weight and they don't want to just keep adding more calories of uh, protein, which often comes with some fat associated with it into their diet. And so I'm hoping that your background is going to help us to figure out this you know what's a smart way to add more protein in that doesn't force people to add a lot of body fat or maybe they can even do this while they're trying to lose body fat and also continue their cardiovascular exercise that they're doing in combination with their muscle building exercise what do you think
1: yeah it's a really interesting topic of discussion isn't it and um it, you know, I was, re- I was reading a, a stat this morning that was quite alarming, actually, when I read it. And it, it said the aging population is growing rapidly. By the year 2050, one in every six individuals will be over the age of 65. Wow. So we've got an aging population and there's, there's nothing we can do about it. It's the fact of the matter. Um, so I think un- understanding how people can age better is going to be crucial for the aging population that we're going to find ourselves in. Um, And I mean, if we go back to kind of one of the areas that we're probably trying to get on top of, it's the, what we would term sarcopenia and sarcopenia is the, the muscle loss that is related to aging. And, and, you know, you've only got to think about relatives that you may know aunties, uncle, grandparents who, you know, I, I look at my nan now, she's, she's 88 and she's very, very frail. You know, there's not, much muscle mass there in in my opinion she's becoming immobile she's relying on stair lifts and and i look at that individual uh, among many many other thousands in the uk that are probably going to struggle but they're, they're an aging population that are living longer yeah. and so how do we try and look after that and you you touch there on protein intake and and protein the reality is that protein is one of the three key macronutrients that as human mammals, we we do require the other two, of course, are carbohydrates and fat. Um, but if we just remind ourselves and, and those that are listening that one gram of protein is four calories, yeah, and, and one gram of carbohydrates is four calories, and then one gram of fat is nine calories. So we have to be quite clever about where our calories are coming from. Um, and the reality is that if we're if we're not willing to increase the protein content of our diet, because we might be having, in our in our head, we might be having quite a lot already, then we, we need to think about, right, is it going to come from carbohydrates or is it going to come from fat? But I, I read um, some great work um, this morning from Stu Phillips, and Professor Stu Phillips is one of the world leaders in protein research and protein metabolism.
0: Right.
1: And, and I'm just going to quote this because I don't want to get it wrong, because I thought it was a really, really nice sentence that he finished one of his articles on, and it was are we ready to acknowledge that older persons have a greater requirement for protein, as many researchers have shown, and perhaps on a per-meal basis? Hmm. So you've got one of the world leaders here that's that's publishing work and, and suggesting and showing with loads of research that the aging population probably need more protein than anyone right now. Yeah. If we then draw ourselves back to the current World Health Organization, and that would would they 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 put out the stat of 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight yeah. in protein is the world health organization recommendation so to keep the numbers simple for everyone listening if you're a hundred kilo individual then that's gonna be 80 grams of protein a day that you would require quite frankly that's not enough it, it's not enough for the aging population to be looking after the skeletal muscle they've got, but also to try and accumulate a little bit more as they're, as they're aging.
0: Yeah.
1: So, I'm going to draw this back into the, the world of sport that I work in, and and reading Stu's, Stu Phillips' work there, it translates into that older population quite nicely, because in the elite population of, of professional athletes, we would recommend that they hit a minimum of 1.6 grams per kilo. So that's double the world health organization guidelines at the moment so if you're that 100 kilo player now we're asking you to hit 160 grams of protein okay and when, when i say that to individuals some some response is oh my god that's so much or you know i don't know where i'm going to get that from but it is actually really easy to consume 160 grams of protein a day because what i'm not asking my athletes to do is consume you know a kilo and a half of mincemeat at dinner like that, that would just be a silly meal to be having. But what I'm asking them to do is be strategic and plan their protein through the day. And, and we use a term called protein pulsing. So that every two to three hours in in the period of the day that you're awake, we should be considering where that protein content is coming from. Yeah. And then if I break 160 down over potentially six to eight meals, all of a sudden you only need 20 to 30 grams maybe 40 grams at lunch and dinner and you've you've hit your your total requirement over the course of the day yeah so it's not that hard to increase protein content over the course of the day um and Stu's work in the, in that article that i read Um, which I can link you in with so readers can take a read of it themselves. The the biggest thing that he talks about is getting that dosing and the timing of protein right over the course of the day, which is where that protein pulsing comes in. Does that give us a a bit of a starting block?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so I hear a couple of things in that, three things actually. One is that we shouldn't be talking about percentages. Uh, You know, in the old days, it was like a 30, 30, 40, you know, so you wanted a certain percentage of your calories to be protein. And of course, the effect of that meaning is that when you were trying to lose weight and you were eating less, your protein would be less also. Mm. We're saying that, no, no, don't do that. The amount of protein is kind of based on the size of a person you are. And then to some extent on your age, so you should be eating an amount of protein to provide some building blocks for your body to repair itself and and then if you're uh, an athlete to if you're, and you're looking to build more muscle protein, then you need more protein than that. And then as you get older, you need even more. Uh, we didn't ex- speak to why you need more as you get older and, and maybe you can touch on that. Uh, and then the last bit was that by, you said pulsing, I think that the key is that we're not looking to eat the leg of a cow at dinner and get all of the protein that you might need all in one sitting, which might be hard, but I'm I'm guessing that it's also not optimal for your protein maintenance and your muscle building desires to just have one giant lump of it in the day, but rather spreading it out through the day and pulses is better as well as being more tolerable and on your stomach.
1: Yeah, yeah. The I mean, the first thing there to just touch on is, I it doesn't matter what country I've ever been to, I've never seen a food label that expresses carbohydrates, protein, and fat in percentages on the back of the packet. Yeah, and so if we, if I was to guide my athletes on, I want you to have thirty percent protein a day all of a sudden it gets a little bit confusing. They're trying to work out percentages, then they're trying to work out gram per kilo, then they're trying to look at the food label for how many grams. So in in, in my education and, and the way that I've been taught and the way that I educate my athletes and clients is that it's just a lot easier to figure out that, right, if I'm 100 kilos and I'm asking my athletes to consume two gram per kilo of protein, that's 200 grams of protein a day, it's very easy for them to then look at the back of a label and say, okay, isn't it interesting that that protein bar's got twenty-five grams of protein?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so now I need one hundred and seventy-five rest over the over the course of the day. It's yeah. just a lot easier, I think, to to work in in absolute numbers. So so that's the that's what I would recommend people do because I just find it to be uh, wiser and, and and more sensible. Um, the the protein content and the protein pulsing. Um, where where we try and encourage the athletes, and I mean, I used to do this with my dad before he passed, unfortunately. But he he was mad into his cycling, and I used to I used to say to my dad, look, at sixty three, if if you're gonna really look after your leg muscle mass yeah. as a as a keen cyclist, we need to make sure that we're bookending the day. So we need to, you've gone, you've had an eight or nine hour sleep where you haven't had any protein at all because you've been asleep and you've been yeah. resting and recovering. If you're gonna go out on a four-hour ride, in my opinion and my understanding of the literature, we should try and get some good protein in beforehand so that we're not going into that ride in a in a protein deficit. Yeah. And for that reason, considering it's the first meal of the day, I wouldn't suggest having five grams of protein. I would probably have 40 or 50 grams of protein because it's the first meal of the day. Like let's start the day really well
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then If I then fast forward to the end of the day, just before dad was going to bed, I would suggest, you know, after dinner, dad would have maybe a protein shake with a protein yogurt and and he might hit 40 or 50 grams in that 30 minute, 45 minute window before he goes to sleep because lo and behold, the head hits a pillow and he's now going to have nine, eight hours where he doesn't have any protein. So I wanted him to repair, recover and regrow that muscle before he went, or as he was sleeping overnight. So if you've then got those two bookends at the the start and at the end of the day, you then have to fill the middle of the day. And I quite often refer to this to the to the athletes, to the rugby boys. It's almost like an ECG. Imagine it's your, you know, your protein pulsing is like your heartbeat through the course of the day. Yeah. And what we're trying to stimulate is every two to three hours. You know, we we want to give the body a lovely source of protein from a a nutritional food or or supplement or drink so that you're supporting the accrual of skeletal muscle mass and the rebuilding and regrowing of muscle through nutrition. We can do that through exercise, but nutrition is a very, very powerful and and quite an easy way to do that as well. Um, And just for the listeners, there's some some great research that looks at the kind of optimal dosage in terms of grams per mil and, um, and where this comes from is that there's a term that we use called the um, muscle fr- fractional synthetic rate. And, and all that simply means is that what's the maximum amount that I can uptake as an individual and, and use to, to my benefit? And it's, it's in the region of around 0.3 grams per kilo of body mass. So again, if I'm 100 kilos, then that would be 30 grams of protein would be kind of my, my optimal amount to be consuming in that, in that one meal. Oh. If, if I consumed five grams at 100 kilos, it's a pro- probably a little bit too low for me. If I consumed 80 grams at 100 kilos, it's probably a little bit too much for me. So that 30 grams as 100 kilos is, is ballpark figure. Now, I'm 70 kilos, so for me it would be 7, 14, 21. It would be 21 grams. So you can begin to see that, that that bandwidth from a 70 kilo athlete all the way up to 100 kilo athlete is actually only 21 to 30 grams. So there's also some great work from uh, Jose Orita that, that looked at is there a significant difference between 5, 10, 20, and 40 grams? Yeah. And there is a significant difference in muscle fractional synthetic rate between 5 and 10. There is also a significant difference between 10 and 20, but when you get to 20 and 40, there isn't a significant difference. So, again, your, your kind of ballpark figure for anyone listening would be between 20 and 40 grams is going to be a real nice dosage of of protein to, to help support the muscles, which is why you see the majority of protein shakes, the majority of protein bars all try and hit within that bandwidth of 20 to 40 grams per serving.
0: Right. Okay. So that is helpful. Another thing that I've heard through my uh, digging around in the internet relates to that there's some minimum threshold of, and leucine is the amino acid part of protein that is the trigger that we're trying to get with these pulses. I mean, obviously all of the amino acids that are essential that you have to eat that your body can't make, Get, you need to get them all uh, in your diet, but you've got to get a certain minimum amount of this leucine in order to trigger this protein synthesis activity and getting more than you need. You know, you've triggered the the leucine and you've provided enough of the essential amino acids for the your body to use for whatever repair and building work that it's going to do. And any excess amount that you have consumed, your body will use it, as fuel essentially. And so I'm looking for your thoughts on this. As we think about watching our weight, our body fatness while we're trying to put on muscle, one of the benefits of of spreading the protein out across the day is that you don't end up going too far above this maximum amount of protein to use for your repair and building activities and therefore you can get enough, but then not add to the excess calories that you're consuming that your body then has to store away, you know, for a rainy day. Is there truth in that? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, look, first and foremost, leucine is a very, very important amino acid. And the the, the way that we almost try and embed this within the the athlete population and, and people that I work with is that it's the light switch of muscle protein synthesis so yeah. if you if you do not consume leucine through the diet then we're going to struggle as you quite you know ele- elegantly said we're going to struggle to switch on that ability to build muscle protein synthesis so leucine is really important it's the light switch and, and that's what we need to be consuming within the diet and don't quote me on this but I, I think i think the daily uh or sorry per meal intake is around three to four grams of leucine i yeah. think um that the that, that we require so yes it, it is important that we that we get that in now if we overconsume, then that's not necessarily a bad thing because we have to remember here that protein is important for skeletal muscle, of course, yeah. but it's also important for many other different functions within the body. Proteins act as enzymatic kind of conversations between different areas within the body. Okay. You know, we've got proteins within the gut. We've got our hair that we have to look after, our skin, our eyes. So, proteins not to be confused with just it, its only function is skeletal muscle tissue because it isn't it, it has lots of other functions and you know if i if i consume 0.4 gram per kilo that doesn't mean that it's wasted it, it will get used elsewhere with all of the other functions of the human body now if we over and over and over consume then yeah we can convert that into nitrogen and we we can use it as a fuel source um, but you'd have to you'd have to go quite above and beyond that to for for that to occur. And I'm just, again, looking at some some data here that the um, 20 grams of protein might actually be insufficient to maximize that muscle protein synthesis in older adults, Uh both acutely and chronically, when combined with that resistance exercise. And so there's a good study in 2015 by Moore and his group that actually looked at the older adults Mm -hmm. and they found that they require 40% more protein after exercise to maximize muscle protein synthesis compared with the amount required by younger adults. And to put that into a serving format, you're looking at about a serving of 35 grams, which would equate to ballpark 0.4 gram per kilo of serving. And And that was actually in males over 60 years old
0: okay well you can begin to
1: see yeah that you know the the younger population have a have a better ability to utilize that protein and and maximize protein synthesis hence the 0.3 grams but as we get older we we know that it becomes tougher to look after that skeletal muscle and so that extra addition of protein per serving is going to be is going to be required and that's where i don't i'm not convinced there's many 60-year-old athletes or non-athletes that I've ever worked with or, you know, ha- ha- how many are actually maximizing protein intake every single day consistently to the, to the right amount and with protein pulsing. I don't think there's many that I certainly know of. Okay. And so it would be, a, it would be one for the listeners to reflect on their, their last week's worth of food intake and think, right, am I actually hitting 1.6 or 2 gram per kilo every single day consistently? Yeah. And if, if the concern is body composition, again, you know, even my own father, it was a classic 63-year-old 6 bloke who enjoyed a beer every now and then and would, would have biscuits on the sofa with my mum. And, and that for me was where the body composition concerns were probably not the fact that he was over consuming protein.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, fair point, fair point. Let's talk about another kind of protein that is more and more in the, the discussion. So I'm talking about collagen. Mm. People have been talking about it as it relates to skin elasticity for a long time and then more and more, I've been hearing about it as it relates to tendons and and that sort of thing. And heck, I even know that there's protein in bone. I mean, you wouldn't want your bones to just be like sticks of chalk. Yeah. We know how um, brittle that can be. So, can you tell us uh, a bit about you know what collagen is, and you know whether eating collagen helps build helps our body build collagen uh, or, or maybe. Maybe science doesn't actually know yet.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a really hot and interesting topic at the moment, and, and I'm only grinning because I'm I'm a, at, at the club that I work at. We we make our own collagen jellies. Yeah. Um. We we've just had them sent off to a lab to find out exactly how much protein is in them because at the moment we don't know. We we've done our maths and we've done our calculations and we think there's around five to seven grams but we're not sure. Um, yeah. So I'm someone that, um, that, that actively uses collagen at, at the club I work at, and we use it with the jellies that we make, and then we also have a supplement that has 20 grams of, um, of collagen within it. So, But it's a really interesting area of research because Keith Barr is, is one of the, the leading researchers within the collagen world, and he's at yeah. UC Davis yeah. um, up in the northwest near San Fran what kind of Keith has always presented is that, you know, collagen protein is really important for the integrity of the the soft tissues, the tendons, the ligaments, and it's those kind of crossing over of the fibers and the collagen peptides that are really important to almost, you know, make the fingers that I'm showing on the screen here yeah. as strong as possible.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but very, very recently, there was a discussion between Stu Phillips and, and, um, and Keith Barr, where they were actually talking about, they presented together at a conference, and they were talking about, you know, all of the um, interest and all of the discussion and all of the practitioners like myself that are using collagen at clubs. Yeah. And, and the reality is that what we can't shy away from is that it's it's protein, it's protein, and it's loading of tendons, muscle, and ligaments that are the key driver to the the strength and the rebuilding of those soft tissues. And so it would be very silly of me to um, ask my dad to just take collagen supplements without any form of tendon or ligament loading. Okay. And it would be because he, he's not gonna get the, the adaptation that he needs within that soft tissue. So it's the, it's the loading mechanism that allows that strengthening of those soft tissues. Rather than just a focus of me saying, "Hey, Dad, here's a recipe for a collagen jelly recipe, and if you take this, then you're going to have an amazing tendons for the rest of your life." That that's not the case, and so Stu Phillips very recently uh, tweeted and just said that right now at the moment, I'm just going to try and find it for you. Um, what we need to probably do be doing is saving our money on the um, sorry, saving our money on the collagen stuff at the moment and just focus on protein intake and loading of those soft tissues yeah. and importantly that when i talk about the loading you have different types of loading you have an, an eccentric contraction you have a concentric contraction mm-hmm. and then you have an isometric uh, metric contraction which, mm-hmm. which is the hold yeah so anyone who's listening now it, it's you know doing a body weight squat and then holding at that you know 45 degrees or, or, or the bottom of the squat, and it's holding that position for five, six, seven seconds, and then coming back up. Uh-huh. That would be that isometric contraction. So the research from Keith, um, when he's looked at the tendon and ligament mechanical engineered samples within the labs, what he does show is that you do get a, a benefit to the engineered ligament and tendons in the dish with 15 grams of collagen and 50 milligrams of vitamin C, which is why a lot of the collagen supplements on the market now have got kind of 15 to 20 grams of protein and they will all have a vitamin C of at least 50 milligrams in there. Um, if you speak to Keith and, and ask about his work in professional sport and his anecdotal case studies, they're all very positive. You know, he he's providing collagen supplements. He's providing protein supplements, and he's returning athletes back to play during their rehabilitation, and they're they're coming back quicker. But the the big question at the moment is it the collagen, or is it in fact just the protein content that's high, and athletes are consuming them regularly, and you know they're they're mirroring that protein pulsing, and that's where Stu Phillips and Keith have both come out together. And said at the moment, the focus should be on protein and loading.
0: Okay, well, that's good to know. I guess the the missing piece, the question that hasn't been answered yet is, as I understand it, there are a few, and really I think only like three, amino acids that are in a much higher proportion in products that are called collagen because, I mean, otherwise, it's mostly the same stuff. You know, like if you bought whey protein powder and you bought collagen powder and you looked at the ingredients, you'd be like, oh, gosh, it's all the same stuff. Yeah. Except for there, there's a few of the amino acids that are different that are in the collagen that you don't find or you don't find as much in the whey protein. There's no scientific evidence that they matter that much yet although the people who are doing these studies and yourself you do provide collagen proteins to your athletes because i guess the answer is because why not why wouldn't you do everything that you could to help people whose bodies are their livelihood am i getting that right
1: yeah and i think kind of what what we're trying to do at the moment is i've i've got a, an amazing chef that i work with at the sports club who is as passionate around food as I am in my area. And you know we're, we're making up our own stocks. So we've got our own beef, veal and chicken stocks that we will boil up around 70 kilos of, of carcass. And, and we'll boil that for 48 hours. We're taking all of that collagen and, and bone marrow and we're, we're boiling it all together. And then we're reducing it down into a stock. And then the majority of our uh, sources that we create for our athletes are then all built from these these stocks, which, if you've ever opened up a tin of dog food and you see the jelly in there, yeah, then you know it it's that stuff that we're creating in our dishes and and feeding our players. So, probably it's the most confident I've ever been that at the club that I work at, our guys are getting a really good intake of natural collagen, gelatin, the amino acids that are related to the collagen protein, but also the fact that it's from straight from the animal and it's straight from the raw source cooked up into a stock and then delivered onto their plate. So, when I've done the collagen supplements myself, I, I had a double knee operation, I had a tour, a full rupture to my ACL, and a meniscus tear. And one thing that I did add in was the collagen supplements, I was having two a day i was I was very strict on my recovery and my my rehabilitation program from a nutrition point of view mm-hmm. and I, I did return very quickly eleven weeks later after a double knee operation. I was running five ks again mm. but I don't know whether that was the collagen protein or was it the fact that I was just hitting a very good daily amount of protein at regular intervals so It's an interesting area of research and it's not something that I'm going to stop doing at the club because I I do think that it's benefiting my players. But I can't be confident at the moment when I've got two world leaders that are saying at the moment it might not actually be the collagen. It could just be the fact that they're getting a good amount of protein, regular time points, and they've got that full amino acid profile in there. And of course, our rugby players do a lot of strength-based training, they do a lot of loading and they're doing a lot of isometric holds. So I've got no doubt that all of that combined together is probably why we're seeing some some beneficial outcomes.
0: Well, good. Well, let's transition into other nutritional areas that contribute to the use of the proteins by the body and making the body stronger or repairing damage. And so I'm looking for what other practices uh, you believe in and follow uh, in the work that you do maybe for yourself as well as you know for your athletes. So as an example, maybe fish oil, uh, mm-hmm. omega-3s, a, a polyunsaturated fat that we think is healthy for a lot of reasons. Is it also a good thing related to repairing the body and building up muscles as part of a strength and conditioning program? And what other things, whether that's one that you believe in or not?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, before we dive on to the omega-3s, a- another area to just talk about is we've got carbohydrate periodization, but then also creatine as well. So before we leave uh, the macronutrients, we'll, I just want to cover the carbohydrate periodization area. and And it's a really important area to get right, I think, because the amount of people that I work with yeah. that are concerned about fat mass, body composition... You know, they're not as lean as they want to be. And nine times out of 10, it's because they're over consuming fat and they're over consuming carbohydrates. It's not a problem with protein. We we know that the global population don't consume enough protein, but certainly here in England, like the Western world, if you were to look at nine or eight plates out of 10 in the evening, in any of the UK household, it's probably gonna be very beige and there's probably be quite an over-reliance on carbohydrates. You know, at a young age we're giving children cereal, so their whole life they just have cereal in the morning. Where's the protein in the cereal? Okay, they might get a little bit in the milk, but that's probably it. So I think carbohydrate periodization is a really key topic to understand. And what we mean by that is a term that we use which is called fueling for the work required and eating with intent. So if I know that today I'm doing absolutely nothing apart from podcasts all day, do I really need to be consuming Mm -hmm. 200, 300 grams of carbohydrates when I know that my exercise today is going to be minimal? Compare that to we've just had the London Marathon yesterday. If I know that I'm about to run the London Marathon tomorrow, I probably need a, a quite high intake of carbohydrates because I need to fuel for the fact that I'm about to run 26.2 miles. And this is where I think people get it wrong. So I I see a lot of athletes and, and individuals over-relying on bread in the morning and cereal. They're then relying on sandwiches and kind of bags of crisps and crunchy bars at lunch. Yeah. And then in the evening, it's potatoes, it's rice, and there's an over-reliance on garlic bread and things like that, which is not... It's not the worst thing in the world if you're going to be active and you're going to exercise and you're going to need that fuel to burn it off. But the reality is that some people don't exercise every single day, but they've got this this overswing of carbohydrate yeah. and fuel. And we know that if we over consume fuel and we don't burn it off, then we're just going to store it as fat. The, the human body is an amazing thing. It's, a, it's an amazing machine. So where we talk about periodization is... I wake up in the morning and I look at my day and I say, right, I've just done a 30-minute gym session this morning before coming on the call with you. So I had a little bit of carbohydrates. I might have had a small bowl bowl of oats because I want to fuel that session. But I had a a good serving of protein. Afterwards, I've had a protein shake to recover. At lunch, I'm actually going to play golf this afternoon. So I might have a small portion of, of rice. But... I'm going to have a big portion of protein and a lot of salad and a lot of vegetables because I don't need loads of carbs. And then this evening, if I'm just going to sit on the sofa and relax with my daughter, I don't need carbohydrates in the evening, really. What I will have is a good portion of protein and some salad and vegetables. And I might have you know, one or two sweet potato wedges, but I don't need 60, 70, 80 grams of carbs. And that's where I think if people want to focus on a controlled body composition gaining skeletal muscle mass but staying quite lean as you as we said at the very beginning it's the it's the control of carbohydrate intake which is quite difficult to do because when you're hungry nine times out of ten the thing that you can open in a wrapper very quickly is going to be carbohydrates
0: right yeah maybe um stay away from wrappers
1: (laughs) So, um, yeah, that, that, that's, um, and, and there's some good apps now out there. There's there's some really good apps that you can get and you can kind of input what your week looks like. Yeah. You can start saying, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a 2K walk on a Monday morning. I've got a round of golf with my friends uh, on a Wednesday afternoon and we're in a competition. And you can start inputting it into the week and then it will start telling you, right, this is the day of the week where you might need a little bit more fuel because you're running the marathon this is the day of the week where actually we will bring carbohydrates down and we're going to increase protein up because you need to recover. So there's there's a lot of ways that you can start manipulating it. And everyone's week is different, okay? So everyone has to look at their own physical activity over the course of the day and, and the week and try and almost piece the puzzle together to say, right, this is where I need this fuel, this is where I don't need the fuel.
0: Interesting. So, this uh, purposeful eating makes sense. I think we've all gotten used to the idea of, you know, we eat for pleasure, and we eat because you're supposed to eat three meals a day, and so we do, and and eating tasty food is a part of having a good life, and and we've sort of lost the connection to why are we eating food? Why does our body want food? Yeah. And so, if we can kind of remake that connection to why do we eat food at all, Before our bodies made it be a pleasurable thing so in order to encourage us to eat and not forget to eat, then we can be smarter about what it is we eat and when we eat. I wonder if, and I know that I've sent us down this path of other kinds of things that we can consume that help us as we build our body composition and our muscle mass and that sort of thing. But it's somewhere in there we probably ought to talk about when we don't eat, I, I know that fasting is a thing that people use for not just for controlling their calorie intake and watching their weight, but also because they they feel better after they've they've had a fast, you know, their gut has had a chance to quote unquote heal. And so they seem to feel less ill when they're Eating food afterwards. Mm. Um, intermittent fasting is a very popular thing. One of the advantages of these not eating strategies is that it's really quite clear when you say eat less. It's like ah, oh, well, how much less? And of course, eating a little bit opens the door to eating a little bit more. For me, I'm I always find it easy to have no peanut butter than to have a little bit of peanut butter. You know, once the cap comes off the peanut butter jar. There's no telling how much of that peanut butter is going to disappear. But if I can't have any, if I'm not going to let myself have any, well, I'm pretty good at not getting it out of the cupboard. Mm. So go back to the path that you were on, but let's make sure that we leave a little bit of time to talk about the not eating and how do we fit that in to this business of we want to get enough protein. Yeah. Uh, we want to fuel, have enough fuel for you know the rare person among us who is under eating because they're exercising a ton, but they're wanting to stay lean. Anyway, I had asked you about uh, fish oil, and, but, and before we went into the omegas, you said you wanted to talk about carbohydrate. Yeah. I forget how you put it.
1: Periodization, yeah. Yeah, and just what I remember as well, I remember listening to this, and it, it always sticks with me, that you know, we're the only mammals on Earth that have the ability to cook our food so why would we want to just always open stuff from a wrapper? And I think what we have to do is we have to enjoy food. We have to we have to enjoy being in the kitchen. We have to enjoy cooking it, cutting it, creating it, and creating dishes because it's a unique skill that no other mammal has got. And so mm-hmm. we we should enjoy that process. And so that that fueling for the work required is 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 really important. And where when I've worked with boxers, the amount of boxers that I've worked with that in their head To lose weight and to to meet a number on the scale, they need to not eat. So in their head, they go, right, if I don't eat, surely I'm going to lose weight. And yeah, okay, you'll lose weight, but at some point it has to stick or at some point your body says, right, hang on a minute. I don't like what's happening here. Like I'm going to hold on to the fat mass I've got because... I don't know when you, when James is next feeding me. So uh, if if, I, if this carries on and this is a genuine starvation mode, I need to lose all of my muscle because it's metabolically very energetically costly, yeah. and I'm going to hold on to all of my fat mass. And the classic film is is Castaway, right? We've all seen yeah. Castaway with Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Tom Hanks. Yeah. And so when I work with boxers, I actually encourage them to eat more than they've ever eaten. We increase the protein. We fuel the specific training periods of the day with carbohydrates.
0: Yeah.
1: And lo and behold, as as long as we hit an an energy expenditure which is higher than an energy intake, then of course you're going to lose weight. Like it's yeah. calories in, calories out, isn't it? So when we talk about, or when we then look at time restricted feeding and intermittent fasting. Look, we all go through some form of time-restricted feeding because we all eat, sorry, we all sleep at some point in a 24-hour right. window. So we all we all experience that process. Some people then drag that process out and they say, right, well, I'm only going to eat between 10 and 4 and that's going to be my eating window. Others do the yeah. intermittent fasting. If it was me working with a, an older athlete, yeah, I would probably stay away from that just because if we then look at, okay, well, I'm now gonna have a window of 10 to four where yeah. I'm gonna eat, but I'm actually then saying, well, I need you to have 160 grams of protein and you've now only got a window of 10 to four to eat. All of a sudden it's it's now quite large amount of protein to be consuming within a, within a small window. Yeah. So considering that everyone works and everyone has their own life and everyone's got their own lifestyle factors, I'm not, I'm not convinced that if I was working with an older athlete, they would be able to sustain that and they would be able to continue doing that day after day. That's not saying that intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding doesn't work. It does work. It does work for individuals on an individual basis. But when I've truly got athletes to understand how to fuel for the work and eat with intent, that's when you get sustainable lifestyle changes that it's not just a diet, it's actually the fact that they now understand how nutrition can ma- manipulate body composition, nutrition can manipulate training and adaptation. In the older population, nutrition can ma- manipulate skeletal lean muscle mass. So, again, you know, the, the time restricted feeding and, and, the, um, and, the, and the fasting has its place, it has its time and its place. I'm not sure whether it's the right tree to bark up. If we're looking at an older individual that's trying to maintain skeletal muscle mass, because m- my concern is that you would then go through too, too many hours within that day without protein intake.
0: And your body would
1: cannibalize your protein. To an extent, right? We've just highlighted from more study that probably need 0.4 gram per kilo. And, and, and we need that really over regular time points. And again, I'll go back to Stu's quote there. Are we ready to acknowledge that the older persons have a greater requirement for protein and perhaps on a per meal basis? Now, if your per meal basis only is now reduced between 10 and 4, how many meals are you having there? Probably 2, at best maybe 3.
0: Right, well, so what if the plan was to do like um, a big amount, say 200 grams of uh, protein 6 days a week, this eating with intent and fueling for the workouts six days a week, but one day a week people were fasting, not eating anything, as a mechanism for trying to teach the body to burn fat better, something like that. Mm. Yeah,
1: and 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 that
0: you know again would have its place right
1: on an individual basis, depending on who that who that person is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. We, would I bring that into a, a strategy of mine potentially? Um, it, it it does work. Like if I if I wake up on a Sunday, and I'm saying right today you're not having any food at all, and I start exercising. You know what am I what am I going to burn? What is my substrate utilization? I might have a little bit of bl- blood glucose circulating from my, my dinner the night before. I would definitely have some muscle glycogen left because I haven't done a a depletion protocol. So I would have some muscle glycogen to use. And then after a while, probably towards the back end of the day, I I would then start dipping in and using my fat oxidation and using the fat stores. Me individually, I guarantee that I would also be quite moody. And (laughs) I don't think I could focus on, you know, Working on anything on the laptop because I'd just be in a bit of a bad mood, to be honest. <laughs> so, that's another consideration you have to think about like the psychological side of, of fasting and, and being in a very, very low calorie deficit state. It's not a nice place to be. Yeah. But, you know, again, when I'm working with my boxers, I, I would actively encourage these guys, if they need to shift quite a little bit of fat mass leading into a fight, I would encourage them to have. They're even in meal where it'd be low carbohydrate, maybe zero carbohydrates, but a good portion of protein and a good portion of salad.
0: Yeah.
1: I'd then encourage them to go out and do a, a very slow and at their own pace 5K run. Yeah, They would then come home. They would have a protein shake before bed with water. So again, zero carbs. I'd put them to bed. They'd wake up in the morning. I'd ask them to have another protein shake with water. And then they'd go out and they'd do another 5K run before having any carbohydrate at all. That there is, is quite an effective way of trying to look after the muscle mass because you're still consuming protein, Yeah. but you're not consuming any carbohydrate. And so you're trying to manipulate the body into using the fat stores that we all have uh, as a fuel source. And naively as it is when i go on holiday in eight weeks time if i want to get lean and look very good in my trunks yeah it's that sort of strategy that i'll be following because i know that it works i know that that's what can can get rid of quite a a good bit of fat mass
0: okay well that's a good tip so keep with the protein just stop the carbs and and let your body live off your fat stores but by continuing with the protein you discourage your body from cannibalizing your uh, muscle mass
1: exactly that yes you know i wouldn't want to take protein out completely because we've highlighted how important it is for the skeletal muscle yeah. mass and, and trying to keep hold of it
0: okay so that all is uh, very helpful we're going to run out of time here. And so I wanted to give you a chance to add anything that we haven't spoken about. I, you know, I'd asked you a little bit about omega-3s and we didn't yes. really get into it. And and, if, and you had mentioned creatine also, and we didn't really talk about it. So maybe you want to give us this last little bit of other things that affect your ability to build and maintain your strength.
1: Yeah. So just quickly on the creatine front, creatine is, you know, we can get creatine from from food source, probably from predominantly red meat, yeah. um, but also we can we can exogenously add creatine into our diet from a creatine supplementation. Now, creatine alongside protein and caffeine is probably one of the most highly cited nutritional supplements out there. Yeah, Every single bit of research, people are going to slam me for that, not every single bit, but there's a high volume of, of research that would support creatine supplementation for an increase in hypertrophy, an increase in strength, and an increase in power scores. And so in the elderly population, I would probably encourage individuals to consume three to five grams of creatine every single day alongside some of their protein supplementations because we know from a, an athlete point of view, it's very effective at helping athletes build muscle mass. It's very good at that. Also, when I've got, I've unfortunately, we had an athlete the other day that went in for surgery on a, his leg. He's now immobile for probably two weeks. He, he'll he be hobbling around his house. And a strategy that we use for the injured athlete is that we, we front load creatine. So we put them on 20 grams of creatine for seven days, mm. every single day for seven days, because we're trying to fill the body with creatine, because we know that that can try and help hold on to the muscle mass that he's got considering he's about to be immobile for the next 14 days. Hmm. So, you know, I speak about my dad. My dad was on five grams of creatine every day because I was saying to him, look, it's going to help you. It's going to help you with your cycling. It's going to help you looking after the skeletal muscle mass you've got. That would be my advice. And then moving on to the omega-3s, you know, omega-3s do a wonderful job in terms of their healthy fats. And not only do they look after loads of different mechanical and mechanistic areas within the body in terms of transporting nutrients uh, signaling different kinases but also if we think about the the oil on a formula 1 car does mm. a very good job at keeping that that engine very slick and very smooth the the omega 3s within the body do a very good job on helping keep those joints nice and supple mm. and help keeping the ligaments and and everything moving in a very very nice way and so I would encourage the, the elderly population or the older population to be consuming either three or four portions of oily fish a week, or if you're not a fish eater, then we need to consider a supplementation. And the work here by Smith in 2015 shows that how having four grams of omega-3 for six months was associated with an increased thigh muscle volume, hand grip strength, And a one rep max muscle strength compared with those given a placebo oil Hmm. we know in the older population that it it does benefit and it does help so i would be adding that in
0: also well fantastic is there anything else that uh, you would want to add to the list of things to make sure to work into the diet
1: yeah probably the last two just before we run out of time would be um vitamin d3 so vitamin d3 is not to be consumed with d2 which we can get from our food d3 is from the sunlight and in the winter months now here in the uk the you know we're we're getting grey mornings the the sun is not high in the sky anymore the zenith angle of the sun is not strong enough and so recommendations here are that through the winter months it's 4000 international units of vitamin d3 every single day Best case scenario, you would go and get a blood test and you would find out where your current level is. But we would recommend our athletes would be having above, we want them their blood concentration to be above 75 nanomolar. But the, the simple strategy there is a, a D3 supplementation of, of about 4,000 IUs through the winter months. Okay. The last thing, that, and with that, vitamin D is very good at supporting bone health. And and bones as we age, as we get older, are crucial to not becoming frail and being able to hold and train and and look after our own skeletal body. Um, and linked into that then is calcium. Calcium is a very very important nutrient that we we must consume, and the best sources there are going to be milk and are going to be things like yogurt and and green leafy vegetables. So if you if you're an older athlete and you're not consuming vitamin D3 and you don't consume dairy foods because of whatever reason, so you don't have milk from a cow and you don't have yogurts that are made with milk from a cow and you're not someone that consumes green leafy vegetables, this would for me be a red flag and it would be something to get on top of. And if you don't want to consume the dairy food, that's fine. But we would then have to consider a supplementation because it's important that we get that calcium as we age. And and just finally on that, you know, Professor Graham Close, who is someone who taught me my PhD, he he always talks about at the moment that where possible, it's a food first approach, but not food only. Mm. So if you have got a vitamin D3 deficiency and you have got an iron deficiency and you've got a calcium deficiency, then yes, we want to try and correct all of that with our food. But the reality is you can't get vitamin D3 from food. You can, but in very, very low supply. So the reality is that we would need to supplement that. And that would be a very smart and wise thing to be doing through the winter months. So Hmm. supplements can be very, very handy, very key, and and are crucial to correcting some deficiencies. And for the aging or the older population, having a, a whey protein powder in their house, that if they have one or two shakes a day, and it helps them hit their total amount over the course of the day it's very very easy to consume a protein shake that's got 30 grams of protein in but if you're not if you're not hungry you might not want to consume a large chicken breast because you're not hungry but i guarantee if i gave you the drink you'd be able to drink it
0: right right well fantastic James, thank you, sir. This has been very helpful to me. Uh, I'm sure our audience will be wiser in their protein nutrition as a result of this. So, sir, uh, how can people find you online, learn more about what you do?
1: Yeah, so I've got my own website, and that's uh, morehenperformance.com. I'll I'll link that in with yourself. I'm also on Instagram under that kind of handle, and and then my, my name is on LinkedIn. So, uh, also Twitter, if, if people want to follow me on there. And yeah, I'm, I'm quite active on those socials and I, I enjoy people reaching out and having discussions. So great. more than happy if people want to get my email address and, and drop me an email, it's always good to talk and discuss.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'll get some of those links in the show notes for people who uh, weren't taking notes and then they can find you. James, thank you again. Uh, you have a great day, sir.
1: No worries. Thank you. Take care.
0: All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion about muscle building nutrition with Dr. James Morhan. You can find more information about Dr. Morhan in his website in the show notes. While you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitness practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.